You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on All Saints Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, some of you this past week may have had little children knocking on your door, particularly on Thursday evening, uh, holding out buckets or bags and wanting you to deposit some things in those bags, Uh, things like candy and, and things full of sugar. Our household took in an enormous quantity of sugar this week, more sugar than anyone should eat in an entire year. Um, so we're, we're all set up. We have all that we need until, you know, well, at least Easter anyway. So um, <clears throat> every year when I look at what happens, and the trunk or treat this year, for those of you who weren't here, it was immense. We had so many families come here last week. It was so wonderful to see. Lots of children. I think there were probably more than 100 guests coming through our parking lot and bouncing in our bounce house. It was just marvelous to see, and I was so thankful uh, for all of you who came and helped, as well as for all the people who came as our guests this week. But I always like to look out over the, the children and see what trends I can discern in a year. And, you know, there's, there's always your basic set of people that are going to go for the scary costume, and so there's, there were some of those. And there's always some people that are going to, you know, pick whatever the latest Disney movie was and and pick a character from one of those Disney movies. And we had a few of those. But this year, by and far, what I saw more than anything else was superheroes. Did you see a lot of superheroes this year? I especially like the superhero costumes. Uh, They're like the skin-tight ones that have the padding in them, so they make a five-year-old boy or girl look like they have big muscles. It's just, it's a lot of fun to see. Why are there so many superhero costumes this year? Well, because we've had so many superhero movies this year. There have been more superhero movies this year than in any year recently. So what's the big deal about superheroes? Well, I think the thing about superheroes is that we all need people to look up to. And superheroes make us think, first of all, about their superpowers, but more importantly, how they use those superpowers generally to achieve good things. 
especially against the supervillains who do the opposite. They use their superpowers to achieve bad things. But there's something good about watching people use the things that they've been given for good, right? And we need heroes in our lives, and not just superheroes, but real-life heroes. And we have all kinds of heroes that we look up to, some from history, some are living today, some are active in what they do. And we tend to categorize heroes into things that we're interested in. So if you are a person who likes golf, you may have some golf heroes. They may have names like Tiger Woods or Arnold Palmer. I said it right that time. I usually mess up his name. Uh, Arnold Palmer. Uh, Or maybe you're a woodworking person, in which case you may have some woodworking heroes. Or maybe you are a cook or a chef even, and your heroes may find themselves on the Food Network with a, a regular television show. We all have these heroes that we look up to, people who excel in the things that we like to do. But as Christians, the thing that we seek after more than anything else, that's, that's what makes us Christians, is Jesus. We put Jesus front and center in our lives, and our Christian faith is the most important thing to us, and we live out our Christian faith in all of these other things that we do in our lives, whether our jobs, our hobbies, our families. We live out our Christian lives in everything that we do. And so as Christians, we need some Christian heroes, right? Some Christians to look up to. Contemporary Christians that we can look up to, and Christians from all the ages that have come before us to look up to. And we call these Christian heroes saints. Now, every book of common prayer that's been printed since 1549 has had a list of saints in it. We call it the calendar of the church year. But our new 2019 Book of Common Prayer is no exception, and so I want you to look for a moment, beginning on page 691 in the the red prayer book in the pew in front of you. On page 691, you'll see at the top of the page it says January, and then it has three columns, which is a unique thing to this Book of Common Prayer. Most Books of Common Prayer in the past have had just one column uh, with dates in it, and one list of saints. We actually have three different columns with three different kinds of uh, Christian heroes. So the first ones are under a column called Red Letter Days. And those are the ones that that are the most important of the the celebrations in the church year. And the ones who fall into the Red Letter Days are what we would think of as biblical saints. So the 12 apostles are all there. And some of the other people like Stephen that we talked about in Sunday school today over in the conference room, or Mary or Joseph, Those are the kinds of people you'll find on the Red Letter Day feast call. And All Saints Day that we're celebrating today is one of those Red Letter Days. But then in the middle column, we have optional Anglican commemorations. So these would be people in Anglican church history or the history of Christianity in the British Isles that have lived out the the faith in a remarkable way. And then finally, we have a column of ecumenical commemorations where people who weren't Anglicans but, uh, but were a tremendous Christian witness from other traditions, the Roman Catholic tradition or the wider Protestant tradition or the Orthodox tradition, you'll find them in the third column. And if you just leaf through the next uh, 24 pages or so, you'll see every month of the year has two pages with a whole list of dates and a bunch of people that you could celebrate. And I would encourage you to look, uh, look up throughout the year what day it is 
and just Google the name of the person that appears there and see who they were and what they did and why they stand out to us as Christian heroes or Christian saints because their stories will encourage you in your own Christian life. The point is not that saints are so much holier than us and therefore they must be much closer to God because all saints were also sinners. None of them were perfect. The point is that they give us real concrete examples of what it looks like to live out the Christian faith in a particular age and a particular set of circumstances. And you all live in a particular age with a particular set of circumstances. And so by studying the lives of those who have gone before us in the Christian faith, you can grow in your own faith and your own witness in the world today. In the letter to the Hebrews, the author uh, gives us a long list of what we might think of as Old Testament saints. Chapter 11 is what we sometimes call the Hall of Faith. And so we read about people like Abraham and Rahab and Sarah, and lots of other people. The whole of chapter 11 is devoted to people who stood out for their faith in God in the Old Testament. And the conclusion of this long list of of Old Testament saints is in the very beginning of chapter 12, where the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So these witnesses who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, are people who have run the race with patience, and they've won the race with patience, and they are before the Lord. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they encourage us, they cheer us on as we run the race. I know some of you in this church have run marathons in the past. Not most of you. I ran a half marathon. I didn't make it to a full marathon, but some of you have run marathons. And if you run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles long, and you get to 13.1 miles and you're halfway there, you need a little bit of encouragement. And so there are people on the sidelines of every marathon cheering you on, saying, you can do it, just keep running. Put one foot in front of the next. You can get there. And that's what these saints do for us. Their witness in ages past reminds us of what it looks like to live out the Christian faith. And they cheer us on, giving us encouragement and hope that we can do the same thing too. So turning to the gospel that we read today, Gospel of Luke, chapter uh, 6. First of all, Jesus speaks into the reality of the broken world that we live in. By the way, the world was still broken 2,000 years ago. And it's still broken today. But Jesus speaks into the reality of this broken world. And so he points out the fact that some people are poor, and some are hungry, and some are brokenhearted, and some are persecuted for their proclamation of Jesus, the Son of Man. But he also points out that some are rich. Some have more than enough. Some laugh at the misfortune of others. And Jesus' point in all of this is that justice is coming. That one day, all of these injustices will be set right. That those who hunger now will have more than enough then. That those who are rich now and have more than enough will hunger then. That God will flip the tables over and set everything aright that is wrong right now. 
There's a better day coming. But into this reality, Jesus instructs those who follow him in how to live right now. And so beginning in verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And jumping down to 31, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. We sometimes call that the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The world would be a much different place if everybody in the world behaved this way, wouldn't it? It would be remarkably different. You might describe people who live this way as holy. The Greek word for people who live this way is hagias, or holy ones. And we translate that word into English with the word saints. So if you've ever wondered what a saint is, in Greek they are the holy ones, the hagias. Their way of life mimics the generosity, justice, mercy, and love of God. So their lives really are images or reflections of God's attitude towards this world, God's actions towards this world. Those bracelets that people used to wear that said, what would Jesus do? That's the basic idea, to, to consider what God would do in any situation in this world, and then to do that. In fact, right at the bottom of what we read, it said, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So essentially, Jesus is saying, act like God the Father in this world. But here's the thing. We can't do this on our own. We can't act like God on our own because all of us are bent towards sin. All of us are broken. All of us have sin in our lives. And so God enables us to live this way by the power of his Holy Spirit. He actually indwells us by the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us so that we can adopt his attitude and actions of generosity, justice, love, and mercy in this world. Last month, some of you may have seen on the news a, uh, a story that was remarkable in the courts. There was an off-duty, uniformed police officer, a white woman, who came home to her apartment, or what she thought was her apartment, and she saw somebody in this apartment, and she pulled her gun and shot this person. The problem is, it was not her apartment. It was an apartment that looked very much like hers, but it was on a different part of the building, and she killed somebody in their own home, in their own apartment. And this person happened to be African-American. And so this, this woman, this off-duty police officer, got put on trial, as she should, for murder, as she should, and she was convicted of murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison, but the remarkable thing about this court case is what happened at the very end of the trial. At the very end of the trial, the brother of the man who was killed was placed on the witness stand and given an opportunity to speak. And instead of speaking words of anger and judgment, he said, could I please, please give her a hug? He wanted to extend mercy and love and forgiveness to this woman who had killed his brother. 
And then at the very end, after the whole thing was done and the sentencing was done, the judge talked to the, the family of the deceased and then went over and talked to the woman who was going to prison. And the woman said, and the judge said to the woman, I want you to use your time in prison to get your life sorted out and turn your life around. And the woman said, I don't know how to do that. I don't even have a Bible. And so the judge went into her office and got her own Bible, the one that she read every day before she started work, and she brought it out and gave it to the woman. And then she gave the woman a hug too. Is that what you normally see in courtrooms? No. But that judge was a Christian. The brother of the deceased man was a Christian. And they were sharing the generosity, love, and mercy of God with this woman who had done so much harm to this family, who had taken the life of someone in their family. Accidentally, of course. But nonetheless, she had taken that person's life. By behaving as saints in this world, we are moving the boundaries of the kingdom of God further and further into the darkness of this world. Because the kingdom of God is wherever God is king. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. And God is king in each of our lives, and so wherever we are, that is the kingdom. Every inch of ground that we stand on is God's kingdom. And as we share God's love and mercy in the world, as we act as people who reflect his love and mercy in the world, we are pushing back the darkness of this world and bringing forth the kingdom of God. And this brings us to the letter to the Ephesians. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, he starts his letter this way. This is sort of like the the Dear Chris section of the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So was Paul writing this letter just to the super holy people in Ephesus? No, he was writing it to every Christian believer in Ephesus and he was calling them saints. Not because they were always perfectly holy, but because God had made them holy. By the blood of Jesus, which had washed them clean, God had made them holy. And not that they're always perfect, even as Christians now today, but they are now set apart to be God's people in the world. And so you folks are now the saints in Middleburg, the saints of Good Samaritan Anglican Church. And praise God that you are. When we continue down to verse 15, where we picked up today, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. So again, Paul is talking out here not just about super special holy people, but he's talking about every believer, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus, everyone who's following Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of them are saints. And Paul in this chapter, is praying for the saints. This is what it says. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. And he prays for three things here, that you may know three things, that your eye, the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, that you may know three things. The first one is the hope to which he has called us. 
the hope to which he has called us. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of hopelessness in this world. There's a lot of hopelessness in this world. And much of it is for the very same reasons that Jesus talked about in the gospel today. People who are hungry, who don't have enough. People who are thirsty. People who are persecuted for one reason or another. This world can be a hopeless place sometimes. But as Christians, we have hope. Both for this life and for the next. Our hope begins the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ and it continues on into eternity. As Christians, we have hope. Regardless of what our circumstances are, we have hope. Because without God, we are on our own, fending for ourselves. But with God, we have nothing to fear because he is always watching over us. He's always got our back. He's always caring for us. He always has our best interests in mind. So Paul prays that we would know the hope to which he has called us. But secondly, he prays that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, uh, I'm, I'm a particularly blessed person because I keep getting these emails from a, a lawyer in Nigeria, and what he tells me is that there's a woman who died recently in Nigeria, and she had millions of dollars, and in her will it said that all of them come to me. Every, every one of those millions of dollars comes to me. All I need to do is, is give him my bank account number so that that money can be deposited in my account, right? Uh, I, I don't know about you folks, but I feel particularly blessed to know this lawyer. In, no! If you ever get that email, delete it right now. It's too good to be true. But I tell you what, all of you do have an inheritance. All of you do have a spiritual inheritance that comes directly from God the Father himself, who made heaven and earth and all that is in it. And you have all been adopted as his sons and daughters, which makes you princes and princesses in his kingdom. That's what sons and daughters of royalty are, after all, right? And he has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. That's the down payment on our inheritance, he says. And the rest is coming. And that we will all get to live out the rest of our days for all of eternity in a city where the streets themselves are paved with gold. That's just a little bit, a little glimpse of the inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. We have been adopted by God himself. And then finally, Paul prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. When people look at superheroes, they think sometimes, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have their powers. I wish I could fly with a cape. It's the cape that makes you fly, I'm pretty sure. Um, I wish I could climb up buildings with my, my hands by sticking to the walls. I wish I could just insert the, the superpowers that you're most infatuated with right here. I wish I could do that kind of stuff. But the amazing thing about the saints of old, unlike superheroes, is that we can be like them because we have access to the same power. And it's not our own power, it's not our own strength, it's the strength that comes from God himself by his Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We call them spiritual gifts. And God has blessed each one of you with spiritual gifts. Special things that he has uniquely equipped you to do 
so that you can contribute to his kingdom, to his church, which is his body. When it continues on, it says about this power, this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Did he say some things? No, he said all things. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. Even right now, Jesus is ruler over everything. Not everything is obeying him right now, but Jesus is ruler over everything. And particularly, he is the head of us, his body, the church. And so the kingdom of God is particularly strong everywhere that we are as believers. And we carry that kingdom with us everywhere we go because we carry Jesus with us everywhere we go. We carry his power with us everywhere we go. And it says in verse 21, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Because we know that when the one to come comes, that Jesus will set everything aright. Everything that's broken, everything that's wrong right now will be fixed. Everything that's unjust will be made just. Everything that's unmerciful will be made merciful. Everything that's unloving will be made loving. God is putting his creation back together. We broke it, but he's fixing it. And the power comes from Jesus himself. And under his feet, everything has been put in subjection. And this brings us to our last reading for today. We're going backwards today. We, we read Revelations, Ephesians, and Luke. Now we're doing Luke, Ephesians, and Revelation. So we're almost done. Revelations chapter 7 is, is perhaps one of my favorite, well, my second favorite chapter in the whole book of Revelation. My, my favorite favorite chapter is uh, chapter 21, but chapter 7 is kind of like a little glimpse of 21. It shows us what's coming. And in chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, we see a remarkable scene. A scene describing things that are to come. And John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That would be an amazing thing to see, wouldn't it? I mean, this, this gives us just like a, a tiny little mental picture of it, but just magnify whatever you see in your head by a hundred million times, and that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be amazing! People from every tribe and language and tongue and people everywhere, together, all of them, everyone who's ever loved Jesus, together, standing before the throne of God and the Lamb, worshiping not just with each other, but also with the 24 elders, with all the angels and archangels, with the four living creatures. This is going to be incredible. And all of them are worshiping before the throne and the Lamb together. All of them at unity together, worshiping God. So who are these, you might ask? That's a good question. That's a good question. And that question is asked in verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, 
Sir, you know, that's a pretty good answer. If you ever find yourself in a vision of heaven and they start asking you questions, just say, well, you know, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll give you the answer at that point. So who are they? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Notice their robes aren't naturally white. White is a symbol of purity, of holiness. And these ones coming out of the tribulation, they didn't do it all right. They messed it up sometimes. Their robes were smudged with dirt and muck and other stuff. But their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've been made white in the blood of the Lamb. There's no more spot or stain of sin on them any longer. And they're free, finally, to be the people that God has made them to be. Free from the shackles of sin. Free and able to worship God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The thing that we've been desiring to do and we just haven't quite been able to do it because of the the bondage to sin that we still are shackled to. But we will be free. And then we hear what it will be like there. There shall be no more hunger. They shall neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more tears. Everything that's broken is going to be better. Everything that's wrong is going to be fixed and set aright. And if you notice, it sounds exactly like the opposite of what Jesus was describing in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Those who hunger will have more than enough. Those who thirst will have streams of living water. Those who weep and mourn now will be comforted. And there will be no more tears. And God will wipe away every tear from every eye. All the saints of God will be there. And as it says in that old jazz song, when the saints go marching in, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. And so this brings us finally back to Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So friends, let us do that too. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us follow the example of Jesus and all the saints. For the joy that's set before us, let us endure whatever perils and pain and struggles that we have in this life. And let us embrace the joy that we all know is coming. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your saints. We thank you for all those people who have gone before us and have given us an example of what it looks like to follow you. We thank you for the saints known and unknown. We thank you for the people that you have used in our own lives to point the way to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the same kind of people to those you're calling us to reach. We pray that you would help us to be people who reflect your glory in this world and push back the boundaries of darkness, expanding your kingdom more and more.
Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Help us to take our place around your throne and around the Lamb, worshiping and praising you with angels and archangels and all the saints in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.